on today's podcast, Microsoft or Google? Maybe it should be and. And a brand new report out is saying that all of this live meeting may be doing some things to us and to our minds and to our kids. All this and more on today's podcast, The Color of Tech Podcast with your host, Dr. T. Welcome, I am your host, Dr. T, and this podcast is brought to you by Sounds by Jezreel. So if you need music for your podcast, so go by and check out his um, library. You will not be disappointed. So um, as we get back into uh, this podcast and again, getting back into the swing of things with the podcasting, um, I want to talk about a couple of things that I've been seeing is going on in education. Uh, particularly with uh, we so we deal with with platforms all the time. So in education, we have uh, various platforms that we use. And one thing that I want to advocate for is using various platforms uh, together as a toolkit, as more of a uh, personal learning environment is what the, the concept is called where it's not necessarily a device or a specific software, but it is the ability or having multiple uses of of multiple platforms and devices and just different tools at your um, at your reach or in in, in your toolkit, as it were, so that you can um, uh, solve problems and and meet challenges. And so uh, watching teachers uh, and one of the things I've seen in education is that we're getting kind of locked in on some of these platforms and whether you're using Google or Apple or uh, Microsoft, one thing that I've noticed is that people tend to get one platform because we're still looking for that magic bullet and we don't want to do anything else. And we try to solve every problem through one particular platform, maybe by getting a couple of plugins or something, but we try to just use one platform and we think that that's going to suffice or, and maybe it will for a time, but as educators, we want to have various platforms and various avenues by which we teach and which we problem solve. And so there's nothing wrong with having a preference. So let's say you have a preference specific specifically for using Google in your classroom there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem comes when we get learn Google or Microsoft or one of these platforms and we don't want to do anything else. We try to solve every problem. We think that we try to see or view technology through one particular lens when we should be um, looking at through looking, looking through various lenses, uh, because every technology brings a perspective, uh, whether on problem solving on data gathering, data reporting. So there is a. There is there's something to be gained by using various types of platforms. And so we really don't want to get locked in. And and one of the problems is that when you are using these platforms or you're required to use a platform that you're not familiar with, uh, it will cause a little bit more cognitive effort. And so as consumers, we've gotten used to technology being about cust about um, just about being ease of use about uh, convenience. And so from an academic standpoint, those things will not necessarily work when we're trying to make lifelong learners and we're trying to make these collaborative and problem solving students 
we cannot effectively teach that if we are not doing it ourselves. And we can't talk about blended learning if you're not talking about blending platforms and blending different tools. And so one of the things that I've always advocated for is learning to use these things together and, and bringing the best of all the technologies together. For instance, um, there's, you see the videos on YouTube. Uh, I've seen them on YouTube concerning, okay, which is better, Zoom or Teams? And so we're trying to see some people like Zoom because it's easy and some people don't like Teams because it's just so hard and Microsoft is is it's 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 kind of glitchy or you know i've gotten and so zoom has gotten uh, the branding now so now when we talk live meetings we we brand and use that term zoom regardless of the the technology that we use but i want to like for instance let you know that there's a difference because in zoom zoom is a meeting platform it is allowed to you it allows you to meet uh together all at once, you get to share documents. Of course, you get um, you get the 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 sharing of the screen, getting that collaboration going, and then you have the meeting rooms. Well, the the problem is that the difference between Zoom and Teams is that Teams is a whole platform where a live meeting is just a part of the platform. So when you're trying to compare Zoom to Teams, you're really almost talking apples and oranges because Teams is a uh, it's more of a community. It's more of a community rather than just live meeting. So live meeting is just something that Teams does. In fact, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because uh, Microsoft has put you know plugins from various applications into the program. So you can actually use Zoom as your live meeting tool inside of Teams. You don't have to use Teams the live meetings. So this opens up the door. Uh, because if you're, I mean, if you're familiar with Zoom and you like Zoom and you know how to f- effectively teach or, or present with Zoom, you can still have the benefits of Teams along with it. And the reason I say this is because Teams, again, is about a community. And the example that I give is that when you have a Zoom meeting and the meeting is over, the meeting is over. You're not talking anymore. You're not sharing anymore. You don't see anybody. You don't hear anybody. But in teams, because it's a community, you're still connected, whether you're in a live meeting or not. So I can still share documents. I can still work collaboratively, collaboratively in a document. Um, I can reach out and and uh, chat or I can immediately go right back into a meeting one on one or a group of people can can have a meeting and just on the fly. So when you start looking at so when you step back again and start looking at perspectives and what the technologies bring to the table and and then, you know, you can you begin to see things differently. So we've allowed these these conversations of competition to come up. And so now we're in here fighting over, you know, which is best teams or Zoom. When you really step back and look, they're really two different platforms and that. Live meeting is a different is just a part of what Teams does. And so you can now see using Zoom now inside of Teams. So now that you're effectively using the best of both programs. The other thing that, you know, because it's a Microsoft platform, you're not uh, just limited to Microsoft. You can plug in your Google Drive. So in the file section in Teams where you can um, have a folder to upload documents, you can also plug in your Google Drive or Team Drive and have those team documents available to be presented 
inside of the platform. You have tabs and one of those tab features is that you can plug in a website or a web address. So then you can put in the web address of your Google Doc. And at that point, you can have that live Google Doc inside of Teams where you can still share and collaborate in real time because you see it uh, in a sense. There's like a built in web browser inside of Teams. So when you share or pin that document inside of Teams, you get to work just like you would in Google. So you don't have to leave Google or forsake Google, as if some people think, to go into Teams. You can actually use both platforms. Uh, together and actually get the benefit of the best of both of them. So um, I wanted to say that is because I think that in the age of COVID and now that we're doing more remote learning and remote learning is not going anywhere. And so I think that we should be in a position to be prepared to pivot um, depending on what happens next. So being stuck on one particular platform and saying, this is all I'm going to do. I'm not doing anything else is not a winning strategy, but if you start using these pieces interoperably and using them together, you can have a situation where then at some point you can always pivot and still provide the best um, instruction and guidance to your students. So that's what I want to say about that. I'm actually going to do a video, uh, probably do a YouTube video on that whole concept. And I want to just kind of talk about that because we and there's some other things I going to show you how we can do and use Microsoft and Google and stuff together to bring a more engaging uh, lesson to our students. Now. On to the next item, which is. The Stanford researchers identify four causes for Zoom fatigue and their simple fixes. So in this study uh, that was done uh, over at Stanford, the researcher is, his name is Balenson's last name is Balenson. Uh, it's a very good article. And he gives the four reasons. And one of them, uh, the four reasons he says is that there's an excessive amount of close up eye contact in and, and which is highly intense. So basically they're saying that imagine if you were in an elevator and we know that when we get an elevator, we know because we're in a small space and that, so we have a lot of people in a small space and we often feel that our personal space is invaded. The one thing that we don't do is look each other in the eye. So you're going to look at your phone. You're going to look down at your shoes. If you got a newspaper or something that you're reading, you're going to be focusing on that to, to, um, to offset, the uncomfortability factor of being so close to, you know, to each other inside this small space. Well, it said in, in the problem in Zoom is that you're constantly looking at everyone in that in closed space. So it's, it's, it's as if you were in the elevator and everyone was looking at everyone else in the eyes. And imagine doing that for the whole trip up the elevator, uh, particularly if you're in a very tall building and riding that 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 riding up to the top in the elevator. And looking everyone in the eye and the fact that that creates this sense of, of intensity because it's almost like when it's like your personal space is being invaded. So you're always on high alert or you're always there's anxiety and that, that, that and that uh, it, you're tense from that because you're constantly in space like that. So that's saying that one of the things is that that happens when we're in Zoom is that because we can look and see each other, we don't get the opportunity to look away. You know, you're you're forced to look each other 
face. And that one of the things that Balenson recommends is taking zoom out of the full screen option and reducing the size of the zoom window relative to the monitor to minimize face size and to use external keyboards to allow for the increase in personal space bubble between oneself and the grid. Now, this is what was quoted from the article uh, in the Stanford News. Seeing yourself during video chats constantly is is in real time is fatiguing because you're constantly it's as if um, what they're saying is it's, it's as if you had a mirror uh, walked around with a mirror with you all day. And so regardless of the interactions that you're in, you have this mirror of yourself walking around with you so you can constantly see yourself. So, so that seeing yourself in the mirror or seeing yourself constantly also causes problems with fatigue because we're not walking around with a mirror. And so we're not conscious necessarily of then of what, what we look like or how we, what we may be seeing every day in our conversations. The other thing is that video chats dramatically reduce our usable mobility. Now, that's interesting because I often talked about the Walcott article from 1992 and in this article, she mentioned the fact that when you're on camera, although it's on camera, you are then in a frame or in a specific space. And, and normally that the camera, you're sitting close enough so that you're in the space. So you can't you're in the meeting, but it's not like you can just step, step back and like, say, sit, you know, 10 feet away from the camera. You're, you know, to be in the meeting, you, you're in that you're in that space. And so also it reduces that that mobility because of that. And so one of the things that they rec, you know, talk about doing is being able to have moments where you can get up and move and have that freedom of movement to, to lessen that. But one of the things that um, they, they talked about of the four things is they talked about that cognitive load is much higher in video chats. And that really stuck out to me because I have uh, I've done a lot of reading and studying around cognitive load, particularly because it has to do with multimedia. And there's a technology component to this. And so uh, cognitive load is a theory and it's based upon uh, this, what they call the dual channel uh, aspect of how we process information. So with our eyes, we see pictures, we see words and images in our ears. We hear words, sounds. And so we, so those two channels of which we input information. And so what happens is as we input this information, and we begin to process that information, there is a space inside of our brain for working memory. And it's in a sense like the RAM uh, of a computer. But as vast as our minds are, the problem with working memory is that that space is relatively small. So it's very easy for the working memory portion of the brain to become overloaded with too much uh, visual stimulus or uh, or auditory stimulus. So, you know, you can, in, in other words, in, from, from a multimedia standpoint, when you have um, a lot of video, a lot of animation, you know, those things can be a distraction from what's actually trying to be learned because your, your brain and your mind is trying to process all this information. You're trying to process all this visual information along with the auditory information. And um, you can put too much information in and overload one, one or both of those channels. And so it seems as though Zoom, one of the things that I think it really affects more or less is the visual channel. I think there's a there's a overload of visual information, particularly when you start looking back at those other three items of where 
uh, space and particularly um, the, 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 when we talk about the first item of the excessive amounts of close-up eye contact, because at that point you're really pushing a lot of visual information into the brain, uh, more than that's needed to process what's going on in the meeting. And so when you're pushing out that, that constant eye contact, I believe is from what the article says and from what I've understood about um, a cognitive load is, is what's really over you're overloading that visual processor. And that's what's causing a lot of the, 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 the problems is because you're really spending more of your visual processing on processing the, the, the issues of seeing people and seeing yourself uh, in these meetings, processing your thoughts and feelings and emotions along with this. But you're also trying to listen to what's going on and or visually visually uh, read uh, the documentation that's in front of you or presentations that's going on. So and that's a whole nother level of uh, distraction that comes in with multimedia and cognitive load is now it, it because the whole purpose of cognitive load was really dealt dealing around multimedia and how we do presentations and images and pictures. And so there are just certain things that you don't do particularly let's say when you have when you're when you're doing a demonstration you have pictures and you have words uh, you want to bring your words and your pictures close together because then that allows your it allows for uh, the processing to work a whole lot better it's called contiguity so you bring those items together in a presentation uh, you don't want to do things like have a talking head video and then turn around having the matching uh, subtitle the matching speech and text that's going to at the same time because it, it causes a confusion because you don't know if I should I look at the picture should I read the words am I looking at the presentation so all of this again causes cognitive load all of those things um, come together really cause a problem so I think that there is a lot of merit to what he's trying to say as of, of what Zoom is. And so what it sounds like from, from what I'm reading in the articles that we're really going to have to cut back on the video. And I think that's interesting seeing from the fact that there's a new company that has just come out with a new module that's built on top of Zoom called Class for Zoom. And it's at class.com. And so it allows you to actually have a live meeting with a class and gives you more real-time classroom tools. So if you take what's being said in this article and now you start looking at this new module, I'm not sure. I think that we may have some problems because I think that we're going to have to stop spending so much time on video. We're going to have to turn those cameras off because we are overloading that visual processor. And you're that's why. And But when you look at the results between this and the, the study that came out last week, uh, they were talking about an NBC and the effects that it's having on the students. In this research or in this this article that he talks about, and he, he talks about a lot of stuff that's hypothetical because a lot of this stuff has not we have not done actual research as far as any type of um, any type of measurements on some of these things. But when you look at he's basically comparing the research to outcomes of other research and kind of looking at hypothetically what we think may be happening and why it's happening. But a lot of it does align when you look at what's happening uh, in the article, when it talks about this issue, the too much on camera and, and, and the close upness 
of, of seeing people and constantly seeing people and the effect that it has on like self-esteem and the effects that it has on particularly females. You see a correlation between that and what NBC talks about, particularly that there is an issue with disengagement and things with uh, female students, things about self-esteem and, and depression and all these things, these effects that happen. And a lot of this aligns with what the study was talking about when it looks at the different effects of, of, of research around multimedia, around video and online. So there's some merit, I believe, to what he's saying. I believe there's some merit to the fact that I think that we're going to have to pull back on video, live video. And I know a lot of um, I think what happened is that we tried to go back to school and do school like we were doing it physically or in the in the physical world. Or we tried to, to, to mirror that virtually. And, you know, if you've studied or if you've heard of uh, Dr. Printendora's concept of SAMR, even though, and I always talk about that SAMR is not just a, a concept, you know, for uh, teaching with technology, but I also look at it as a lens to measure what we're doing with technology. And so when we went virtual and then we tried to have school the same way virtually that we've always had it in the physical realm, that's called substitution. And basically you're doing the same thing you've been doing in the physical world or without the technology, and then you add the technology and try to do it with the technology that's just called sub, uh, substitution. And it really doesn't gain anything for the students. It's this, the, the, the learning, the, the what's happening uh, curricular as far as with, with the engagement in the classroom, the, the learning goals, nothing is increasing. In fact, it's, it looks like we decrease more than anything and it's more harmful trying to do that because it's a different mode of operation. And what we're finding here is like what we're seeing virtually. There, is, there are those things that mirror and a lot of times we only see it from one perspective. But what this article is showing us is that when you look at the analogy of constantly being on Zoom and, and put that with the analogy of being in the elevator, then you kind of see how this tends to play together. We don't see it at first. We just, oh, it's technology. We think it's a solution. Let's go for it. Here we go. And then, you know, several months in, we find out that it's a problem. And so for a lot of school districts right now, their their big struggle is just getting back in the classroom. So for us, we start in August, as we always have. So we've been doing the hybrid and, and the virtual thing for a while now. So, But I think we're going to have to really take some, some really long looks at what we're trying to do. I think part of the problem as well is that we're still obsessed with trying to go back to 2019 and get back to where we were. And I do not think that that I think 2019 is gone. It's not coming back. And as hard as we try to set that normal, we're going to have to get used to a new normal. And I think we're, we're still struggling with that and we're still resisting that. And so I think those are a lot of our problems. If you get a chance, check out the article. And it's uh, the Stanford researchers identify four causes for Zoom fatigue and their simple fixes. So I want to thank you for your time uh, in this podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope that you that you will subscribe to the podcast. In this podcast, we're going to really look at, you know, we try to come from a different perspective on technology and particularly in education and maybe consumer and social issues. We're going to talk, look at different things around education. But in any case, thank you again. And this again, this podcast is brought to you by Sounds by Jezreel. So if you are looking for that music that you need for your podcast or for your multimedia project, take a listen and go by a site. Until next time, I'm Dr. T. Thank you.